Hey guys, a lot has happened in the world since our last episode. So this episode and the next one, I'm going to break down the conflict in Ukraine and I'll talk about some of the other key crises that I see going on in our world with China and world trade. And then I'll try to get into and help you guys kind of navigate and understand what it means for us as Americans and followers of Christ. of Millennial God, where we help believers navigate life, culture, and politics in America. As you can see, a little different setting today uh, as I am on the road at the time of this recording. And so welcome to my wonderful little hotel setup here. All right, so I have a lot of topics to cover today. Originally, I was going to do this all in one episode, uh, but it's a pretty complex environment right now. And so uh, I'm actually going to break it down into two different episodes. Today, I'll primarily talk about the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, and I'll give you guys some background and kind of give you my two cents on what our involvement should be. Uh, and then in the next episode, I'll talk about some other conflicts going on and problems around the world uh, that you may or may not be aware of, honestly. Uh, part two will be more of a focus on the global economy and China's growing encroachment across the globe through its uh, Belt and Road Initiative, because to be completely honest, that program is much more threatening and an effective strategy to gain control of land, resources, and manpower than Russia's ongoing land grab in Ukraine. But for today, we'll focus on Russia and Ukraine since that's kind of the uh, topic of this week or the, the hot topic of this week. So let's just get right into it. So if you haven't heard already, uh, which hopefully you have by now, but if you haven't, uh, Russia has initiated a full-scale invasion into Ukraine. The Russian military is still in the midst of a ground and airborne invasion from its border with Ukraine, as well as through Crimea and Belarus. Uh, at the time of this recording, Russia, Russian forces have seized some key cities in eastern Ukraine, uh, but they have been unable to effectively gain control of the national capital, Kiev. Uh, that's an important note because from my understanding, the Russians have attempted at least one significant uh, attempt to breach into the city, but thus far are, are being prevented by uh, resistance forces from entering the actual city itself. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of the information uh, that we have right now is coming from open source outlets, meaning that it's just out there on the internet. And so it's pretty challenging to verify the legitimacy of a lot of this information coming from both sides, both the Ukrainian uh, and the Russian side. However, it is very clear that the United or the, the Ukrainians have been at least relatively successful in mounting a def defensive campaign against the Russian invasion with not only their military, uh, but also with the civilian populace. So from initial reports, it's looking like uh, the Ukrainian military has been able to destroy multiple tanks, aircraft, uh, helicopters, transportation vehicles, logistics trains, uh, you know, all, all different kinds of, of Russian equipment. Um, a lot of that is undoubtedly a result of Western countries providing anti-armor and anti-aircraft weapons to Ukraine. But it also appears that the civilian population is willing to uh, willing and able to hold its own as well. Um, both men and women have volunteered to stay and fight uh, in defense of their country. And yesterday I even saw that a Ukrainian brewing company was using their facility to produce high quantities of Molotov cocktails to pass out to civilians to use against the Russian military. Uh, and from what I've seen so far, morale is pretty high uh, among the Ukrainian people. Now, that's not to say that they aren't going through some pretty atrocious things right now, but morale may end up playing a key role uh, in this fight because we're also seeing the Russian troop morale dropping and seeing Russian troops surrendering and even protesting against their own government in some places, uh, which is a super interesting point from the perspective of 
modern warfare because it appears as though the information environment is highlighting Ukrainian successes and emphasizing international dissent to the Russian campaign, which if you're a Russian soldier fighting on the front lines in a battle that you didn't want to fight in to begin with, and now you're seeing that your side is losing uh, and that the entire world thinks you're doing the wrong thing, and you know that can, that can be pretty powerful. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how the information environment influences morale on both sides of this fight. Now, you may be wondering why on earth did Russia even invade to begin with? Well, uh, without going into a multi-day TED talk on this thing, uh, it can basically be summarized in three categories. First, the historical, second, the, the strategic, and third, the political. First, uh, the historical. So. President Putin sees Ukraine and really all of the former Soviet states that were part of the Warsaw Pact as Russian territory. Uh, you have to understand that he spent much of his career as a KGB agent during the Cold War. So he exper experienced a lot of grief and embarrassment in the aftermath of the Cold War as all those states broke away from the Soviet Union and began aligning themselves with NATO and some Western countries. So from Putin's perspective, he's simply bringing the Russians uh, and true Russian territory back to the country. Uh, it's important to point out that he's also getting a little bit older and probably approaching the end of uh, his career. So he's probably starting to feel the pressure of leaving his legacy. And so he needs to start putting his strategic plans into action uh, to unite all these for former Soviet states. The second justification that they have is uh, strategic. Uh, and it deals largely with geopolitics and Russia's position on the world stage. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, NATO expanded to include many of the former states uh, and built relationships with other countries such as Georgia and Ukraine. So Putin believes that he's largely disadvantaged when it comes to Russia's global position. He's worked for the past two decades to, uh, to reestablish the Soviet Union's borders uh, in an attempt to push back on that Western influence. Um, and in his defense, he's not necessarily wrong. Western countries have put missiles in nearby countries uh, and have developed economic relationships with uh, countries that disadvantage Russia and the global economy. So he's not necessarily uh, wrong in this perspective. So uh, Putin likely sees this invasion as a way to keep the West out of Russia's uh, sphere of influence, specifically probably wants to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO uh, and kind of threaten any other countries that are considering it. Uh, to prevent them from, from joining as well. All right, so the third option, or the third justification is uh, political. Although Russia calls itself a constitutional republic, which elects its leaders, it's really an uh, autocratic regime, regime that cracks down on true democratic opposition. Uh, and so as po Putin watches the democratic movements happen in Russian border countries, particularly the ones in Ukraine in 2004 and in 2014, he undoubtedly is getting worried about democracy coming to Russia as well. So in his mind, he needs to take control of the nations that may become more democratic because they will inevitably threaten his domestic control inside of Russia. Uh, but even with all that, why did Russia choose this moment in particular? So. My personal, personal opinion is that uh, it breaks down into three reasons why Russia invaded this year at this moment in particular. So first, uh, its economy is struggling. Many experts will say that the, in the next decade or so, Russia, uh, their economy is likely to collapse. Uh, Ukraine, on the other hand, is one of Europe's leading economic producers in agriculture, mining, coal, oil, power. Uh, its population of 40 million, it's a population of 40 million people, but it produces enough food to feed 600 million people. So if you're Russia and you see economic collapse uh, in your future, then invading a country that can potentially stabilize some of your uh, resource shortcomings makes sense. 
Um, second, Putin sees uh, Putin and his cronies really see that the Western countries, particularly the United States, are both are, are weakened both culturally and politically. Not only Russia, but China and Iran and North Korea have all increased their aggression towards the United States. Uh, and that is undoubtedly because we are weaker now than we have been in decades. Uh, our, our military failures, particularly in Afghanistan, uh, made it clear that our nation is struggling to understand uh, its military role in the world. And so that coupled with uh, the lack of political and social support for conventional military inter intervention uh, and President Biden's desire to not completely destroy his legacy in foreign politics means that it is highly unlikely that the United States uh, would get directly involved in this conflict with conventional military forces. Uh, since Ukraine isn't a NATO country, there's no legal obligation for the U.S. to send forces in. Uh, and President Biden does not have the domestic support for this either, right? So uh, Putin definitely knows this, and he also knows that the United States is struggling domestically with a number of social issues. And so he's taking advantage of America's domestic weaknesses to fulfill his own foreign aspirations. The third reason is... Uh, it's much more tactical than anything else that I've discussed. So it has to do with mud. That's right, mud. Russia's military relies on maneuvering with heavy vehicles like tanks and armored personnel carriers and logistics vehicles. And much of eastern Ukraine uh, is this sort of like swampy low ground. And so Russia had to, uh, had to time the invasion just right and wait for the ground to freeze enough that they would be able to drive their heavy vehicles over the muddy roads uh, and low ground of eastern Ukraine. Now, all of that, uh, or I say all of that because if the Ukrainian resistance is able to hold off Russia uh, in the east, if they're able to delay their advance until the weather warms, then the Russian military may find themselves uh, in a quote-unquote sticky situation uh, as their vehicles get bogged down uh, in this thawing mud as spring comes, which uh, not only slows their movement, but also makes them kind of sitting ducks for the Ukrainians to target. Uh, so I expect that knowing this, President Putin will do whatever it, he can to advance his eastern forces uh, further west to avoid getting stalled and getting pulled into a protracted war in geography that uh, really doesn't play into his strengths. All right, now to the real question that a lot of people are probably wondering, which is, should the U.S. get involved? Uh, look, with, with all of this, uh, I'm just going to give you guys my personal opinion and understand that I am no expert in European or Russian affairs and I'm definitely not an elected member of the American government. Uh, I do not have, or I will say, uh, I do have about a decade of foreign policy experience, but I am by no means uh, an expert. So take everything I say here with a grain of salt and uh, also understand that uh, I have some unique insights that the general American public uh, may not have considered. So uh, this is by no means a podcast dedicated to addressing international politics, but uh, this invasion is a pretty big deal. So I wanted to address it with you guys, uh, with the audience of this, this podcast. So uh, without further ado, should the U.S. get involved? Well, I'll start off by saying that what many Americans may not understand is that there are ways for the United States to get involved that don't include sending thousands upon thousands of conventional military forces into Ukraine. Uh, there are obviously a multitude of economic and political pressures that the United States can apply to Russia, uh, namely sanctions and preventing Russia from conducting international banking and things of that nature. But even from a military perspective, the United States has a lot of options that don't include full-scale invasion. Uh, let's use Afghanistan back in the 80s as an example. So uh, back, in the, back in the 80s, if you're not familiar, uh, Russia had invaded into Afghanistan, tried to gain control of Afghanistan. 
uh, Green Berets and the CIA provided Stinger missiles and other weapons to the Mujahideen, so the uh, fighters inside of Afghanistan, so that they could fight against the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, the Soviets were largely successful in Afghanistan until we started providing fighters with equipment. But uh, then once they had the right weapons, they were able to more effectively resist the Soviet occupation and e uh, eventually force the Soviets out of Afghanistan. So uh, there are a lot of military options to disrupt Russia other than sending brigades of conventional forces into Ukraine. We can do some uh, more non-standard or uh, asymmetric, unconventional type um, forms of war to disrupt or coerce uh, the Russian government from, from advancing inside of Ukraine, especially in the 21st century when uh, cyber attacks and information warfare can potentially be more effective than bombs and troops on the ground. If we look at things that have happened across the, the globe over the past you know, 10, 20 years, we can see that information a lot of times can actually be more effective than uh, dropping bombs and launching cruise missiles. Uh, but perhaps uh, more importantly than talking about how we could get involved, I want to go back to whether or not we even should be involved uh, to begin with. Unfortunately, the people who make the decision for the United States to get involved in this conflict are rarely the people who feel the consequences of those decisions. Politicians and businessmen uh, can easily sit back and live their comfortable lives while sending middle and lower class men and women uh, off to their deaths in foreign countries. For the past 20 years, a very small portion of our population has felt the burden of the global war on terror, and the vast majority of the population has been largely unaffected, particularly uh, in the more recent years. And so right now we're in a position where much of the military understands the consequences of war, but our politicians and our society don't. Uh, the people who make the decision don't fully grasp the cost of war right now. Uh, they don't fully grasp the violence and the loss uh, and the pain that comes with war. And those same people, along with political commentators and the media, will use this as an opportunity to uh, get the population riled up and either try to make decision makers look bad or make them look good based on the decisions that they make. Uh, but that domestic pressure may potentially result in politicians making decisions to send Americans into harm's way without fully understanding the reality of the situation on the ground over there. So I need you guys to understand that before you go ranting about how bad President Biden is uh, because we aren't sending troops to Ukraine, this is a much different war than you are accustomed to, than the United States military is accustomed to. Uh, most Americans are used, used to the global war on terror where the fighting happens far away from the comfort uh, of your living room. But uh, if we send conventional military forces to Ukraine, this will be a much different style of war. Uh, so before we complain that the United States isn't doing enough, uh, just consider how many of your friends are you willing to watch die over this conflict? Uh, if you're not willing to watch thousands and thousands of your friends die over what's going on in Ukraine, then don't start pressuring politicians to send forces over there because I promise you a war with Russia is much different than a war with extremists who are just on the fringes of society. Unlike the United States, the Russian military is happy to commit war crimes and human rights violations and even use nuclear weapons at the tactical level uh, to bring about success. I even saw just today some news that said that uh, President Putin specifically addressed that uh, he was willing to consider all options uh, and he put nuclear forces on alert uh, because he's considering using them inside of Ukraine. So please understand that uh, you'll probably hear a bunch of political pundits complaining that President Biden in the United States isn't doing enough. Uh, but that's an easy thing to say from their comfortable lifestyle. Uh, they're not the ones who will get sent off to war. So before you uh, speak, just consider that pressure domestically may cause politicians to make decisions that they cannot reverse. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that for right now. Politicians make the decisions, but they won't be the ones that will feel the cost. 
but you and I will end up feeling that cost for sure. All right, so uh, with all this conflict going on with the uh, Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, uh, what can you, just as a regular person in America, do about this whole thing? Well, on the strategic geopolitical side of things, uh, quite frankly, there, there really isn't much that you're able to do right now. Um, this is a conflict that is decades in the making. It's not just some small border dispute anymore. And really, the international community is still trying to decide what its response is going to be. Although it does look like more countries are starting to sanction Russia uh, and provide weapons and resources to Ukraine. One thing that you can do, and I'll call, caveat this in a moment, uh, but one thing you can do is find a way to join the resistance effort in Ukraine. Now, I am by no means recommending this or saying that it's the right route for most Christians. Uh, I'm probably much more anti-war than most of you who are familiar with my background would think that I am. So I'm definitely not recommending that you should go find a way to fight in Ukraine. But if that is what you think God is calling you to do, uh, I will not be the one who tell you not to go do it. Uh, the Ukrainian government has said that if you come to their country and want to fight, then they will find a way to put you inside of a, a volunteer unit. But please uh, be very careful with that because, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, this isn't Iraq, this isn't Afghanistan, this is a much different war, uh, and I'll just kind of leave it at that point. Um, another potential option you could uh, do if you feel called to it, uh, to go like over to Ukraine, if you feel truly called to go over to Ukraine, um, and you know, fighting in, in the battles might, isn't for you. Uh, one other option for you is to find a way to provide medical aid to victims. So I think this is a much more applicable role for Christians who feel a need to go do something about this conflict. Uh, I would imagine that the Free Burma Rangers will likely get involved in some capacity, although I'm definitely not a spokesperson uh, for the company, so I can't promise that they'll be involved. I would just imagine that here in the near future they will probably uh, get involved. But uh, so they may be an option to look into. And then of course, uh, there are some, you know, quite a few uh, other organizations out there who uh, you can join like the Red Cross, for example, and and I'm sure they're going to get involved in providing some sort of medical aid to uh, Ukraine in some capacity. And so if, if you truly feel like you need to go over there, um, but don't think that fighting uh, against the Russians is, is necessarily your call, um, I would highly re recommend looking into providing medical aid either inside of Ukraine or across the borders as people start to come out of the country. Uh, finally, I know that a lot of people on the internet will tell you that prayers don't help, uh, but the truth is, is that God can work in ways that we don't understand and we may never see the fruit of, uh, and he does answer prayers. So if you wanna do something about the Ukrainian conflict, I would recommend you start with prayer uh, and see where God guides you to go from there. Uh, maybe you are the person who is called to go be a light in the darkness of Ukraine right now, or maybe you can be the person to organize an anti-invasion protest in your community, uh, but it all should start with prayer. Pray for the people fighting on both sides of the conflict, uh, because I assure you that there are plenty of Russian soldiers who don't want to be involved right now. Uh, pray for the civilians that will be caught in the middle. Pray for politicians and leaders in the conflict, and pray that American decision makers are wise as they consider all the options for involvement. Uh, in this Ukraine conflict right now. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. Uh, I know this topic is a little bit different than what I usually talk about, but I hope it helps you understand the conflict a little bit better. Make sure to tune in for our next episode where I'll tie in how the conflict in Ukraine right now actually plays into a much more significant global picture with China and the international economy and really how we're sort of moving into what I believe is a new era of global competition. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. 
Uh, if you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.